morning, everyone. I think about half our crew is still downstairs, but we'll come up shortly. My name is Paul Buckley, uh, one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege on most Sundays to bring God's Word. So we gather to worship the Lord, to enjoy Him, and to learn from Him, and He speaks to us through His Word. Uh, and so we value that as a church, uh, being in Scriptures. And this is the last message in our series in Romans very last message. Um, next, we'll be doing a short series uh, on the church, and usually we go through books of the Bible, just sequentially through the book. Uh, I think that's God's design for us, for hearing the word, is just to hear, hear it proclaimed uh, through a whole book, but it's also really helpful at times to step back and look at some of the themes and truths of scripture. Um, and so that's what we'll be doing next in our series on the church, and that will take us to the Advent season. So you can be turning to your Bibles to Romans 16, 25 through 27, the, the ending part of this wonderful letter. And let me ask you, have you ever tried to sum something up that has a lot of depth and detail and it seems impossible to do so? Uh, trying to sum something up, maybe in a sentence or two. I think about things uh, in media and literature movies, if you're a Star Wars fan, uh, and someone asked you, well, what is this Star Wars thing about? What are these nine plus movies and all these series? Can you sum it up for me uh, in a sentence or two? It would be very difficult. I don't know. Good prevails over evil in space? Or um, a whole galaxy gets dragged into a dysfunctional family's problems? Um, maybe that's how you would describe Star Wars. How about Lord of the Rings? Uh, how would you sum up all the Lord of the Rings stuff that's out there? Maybe epic people do epic things over thousands of years. Or little people rescue big people from their messes. Um, how about Jane Austen stories? Now, they're not series, but they're kind of all the same. Sorry, but they kind of are. Um, I like Jane Austen, just so you know. I, I enjoy it, and I watch, all, I watch. I haven't really read any of it, but I've watched it, the movies. So, Yeah. I admit it, but I do like the movies. Anyhow, how would I sum it up? Most likable woman fights with good-looking goofus. Good-looking goofus turns out okay. They get married. That's my, those are my attempts at summing up those big pieces of literature, big movies, and so forth. Well, today we're going to hear a summary, a much better summary, from the Apostle Paul. He's going to summarize this entire letter that has so much in it. He's going to do so with what's called a doxology. Um, doxology is just a praise. That's what the word uh, doxus means, is praise or glory. And so this is a closing doxology where he gives glory to God. And in that doxology, as he does that, he really sums up the whole letter. So it's a, a great, helpful way to, to finish our series is to look at this. So let's pray as we hear God's word from uh, Romans as we hear it taught and proclaimed as well, that we would learn and be transformed by God himself. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this section of scripture, these three verses, and all that's in it for us. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to learn the truth. We want to experience your life. So be here with us, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, dwell with us. Help me to teach and proclaim well. Uh, may you be glorified. May we be built up in you, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Romans chapter 16, verse 25 and following, Paul says, Now to him 
who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul is closing the letter out with this section of praise to God. And in this we learn that God is glorified through the impact of the good news of Jesus Christ among the nations according to plan. And that's really what I want to do. Is just I want to walk through it using that sentence and learn from it and apply it by God's grace. So first, God is glorified. Of course, this is a doxology. It's about the glory of God. Paul starts out saying, now to him. And he doesn't say what is to him until the end of this section. In the middle, he fills it in with a lot of details. He's, but he starts out now to him and then finishes at the end to the only wise God, be glory forevermore. That's actually how it finishes in the original language. It finishes with that statement to the only wise God, be glory forevermore. So this is a doxology. It's about God's glory. But it isn't something that Paul just adds on, like, oh, I, that's right, I've got to remember, we've got to give praise to God somewhere, and I'll do it at the end. Actually, the whole letter is about God being glorified. That is the ultimate theme of, of Romans and the entirety of Scripture, and, and all things, it's about God's glory. God's glory being displayed, God's glory uh, being enjoyed uh, and, and obeyed, really. That's all of all of reality and it's all of Romans here and so this isn't just a doxology to add to the end but it's actually a way to sum up the whole book now there are particular ways that God is glorified in this letter and a main theme that we've talked about from the very beginning is the righteousness of God the righteousness of God is a main theme of Romans and and really you can see that theme worked out throughout the whole letter the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? Well, I, I think you want to read the whole letter to find out, but if I can sum up, uh, it's the rightness of God. It's, it's, God, it's God's ways. It's God's goodness. It's God's uh, character. It's what God requires of his creation of those made in his image as well. It's related to that. It's the idea of, of the goodness and glory of God. That's what the righteousness of God ultimately is. It's his rightness. And there's a lot to that, certainly, but at the core is this idea of the goodness and glory of God in who He is and in His ways. And what He calls us to is those made in His image. So it isn't just an abstract, God is righteous separate from me, but actually God has made me in His image and He calls me to this righteousness. Now, in Romans we've learned that there's a big problem there. But this theme runs throughout the letter and, and theologian and Bible commentator Tom Schreiner outlines the whole book this way. I think we have to show. Uh, this is an outline of the whole book with, that we've used as, as a, a preaching through this, proclaiming through this. So the gospel is the revelation of God's righteousness, uh, chapter 1. God's righteousness and his wrath against sinners, chapters 1 through 3. The saving righteousness of God, chapters 3 through 4. Hope as a result of righteousness by faith, chapters 5 through 8. God's righteousness to Israel and the Gentiles, chapters 9 through 11. God's righteousness in everyday life, chapters 12 through 15. The extension of God's righteousness through the mission, Pauline mission, chapters 14 to 16. And then final summary of the gospel of God's righteousness. That's where we are right now. 
So this whole letter is about the righteousness of God. It's put on display in this letter, and it is put on display in stark contrast to the unrighteousness of humanity. This is a book full of the infinite treasure of God's glory, seen by stark contrast to our sin and our fallenness. Now, that's a problem. It's a problem for me at times. I'm sure it's a problem for all of us. It's a problem for mankind, for fallen mankind. We, in our natural selves, really don't want it to be about God's glory, especially in stark contrast to our unrighteousness. We don't want that. We'd prefer it really be about us and how good we are and maybe how much He loves us. And He certainly does love us tremendously. And there is goodness in us and being made in the image of God, yes, that, that's true. But, but it wouldn't be helpful, actually, for us to have gone through a whole letter that was all about that. And actually, I think at times, we even want to diminish who God is for the sake of our own goodness and glory. But this is utter foolishness. Because we're not God. We're created beings. We're made by God. God is the creator of all things. The sustainer of all things. He alone is good and glorious. And everything in creation flows from who He is. He is the source and center of all things. And it would be foolishness for Paul to try to help us by flipping that upside down and saying it's about us. And by the way, there's no problem with you. Don't worry about yourself. That's not helpful. It's not truthful. And the book of Romans is, is a letter written to a church in Rome to help that church. And by God's grace, this book, this letter has been preserved for us. And we know it is the very words of God. It's scripture. So that we would be helped. That we would be correctly diagnosed in our condition. And in that context, see the glory of God. And so we've heard a lot about this throughout Romans. Romans chapter 1. Doesn't pull punches. Speaks of humanity this way. For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And then later in chapter 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Speaking of mankind, all of us as a whole and individually. We've exchanged the glory of God. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of the righteousness of God. We have not loved God as He deserves. He's the creator of all things. The, the giver of all good gifts. He, he keeps everything going. He, he sustains us in, in countless ways. We're only beginning to understand some of those things in terms of the physical with, through science. This God is at work in all these ways and more to care for us. And yet, we reject Him. We exchange Loving Him, trusting Him, obeying Him for other things. We're falling short of the glory of God. This is the reality that Romans points out to us for our good. It doesn't just do this in terms of our unrighteousness before a righteous God, though that is an important part. It also does it in terms of our, our limitedness. And so we spent time, if you remember, in chapter 9, where, where God addresses us through His Word, helping us to understand we're not God. He is. Because we, we want to have things under control. We want to be the ones in charge. We want to understand things. And Romans 9 taught us, no, there's mysteries that you don't understand. And you don't get to understand, at least currently. But God understands. 
And so Paul's answer in those chapters, he's, he says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does, depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And then chapter uh, 9, verse 20, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? If you don't like that arrangement, is what Paul's saying. Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? And then Paul finishes that section this way in Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Romans exalts God and humbles us. And that's a good thing. Yes, I know, it doesn't feel good, really. <laughs> it's hard, and, and it's not my pleasure at all to bring you this truth, but you and I need this truth, because it's true. We have fallen short of the glory of God, and God is glorious. And it is ultimately about Him. Romans comes like a physical therapist poking and prodding and creating pain as a result. But it's a pain that leads to readjustment and realignment and true health. As we learn to depend on and delight in and live our lives, our lives in the light of the glory of God. And so it brings us cure. And that cure is shown in the, in the contrast to our problem in such a wonderful way in chapter 3, verse 19 and following. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. The law of God, the requirements of God to, to love uh, him and love others and to do right. It speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified, counted righteous, considered righteous. No human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes what? Knowledge of sin. But now, Paul says, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God, how does it come? Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is the cure to the problem of our unrighteousness before a righteous God. The righteousness of God is provided for us through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Simply believing and receiving Jesus, the righteous one, his righteous life, fulfilling all righteousness, dying in our place for our sins, rising again on the third day, through faith in him, we receive the righteousness of God. We are counted righteous. We are reconciled to God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift or some translations are justified freely by His grace. It's entirely free. Not free to God, it cost Him His very Son, but free to us to be received as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is the cure that the physical therapist is after for us to readjust our lives that we don't depend on our own righteousness, our own 
uh, sense of our ability to somehow earn God's favor and get right with God on our own. Instead, we realize that we are broken. We are failures. We have fallen short, and we need rescue. And that comes through Christ, the very righteousness of God himself. Romans 5 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the good news of Romans. The good news that comes in demonstrating the glory of God, demonstrating the righteousness of God, demonstrating the character of God, that that he would be just and the lover of, of his people in this way. And it doesn't stop just with receiving that truth, but living in it. So Romans 12 launches us into a whole section that's about living in light of the good news and really glorifying God now in our daily lives. And it flows out of the reality of what He's done for us in Christ. And we learn to live in light of the gospel and learn to to be different in our thinking that we might start to see just how good and glorious he is and start to be conformed to the image of of Christ himself as we we learn God's ways and we learn to love and we learn to serve and and honor him. So Romans 12 says, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. You glorify God this way. He's done all this for you and now you, I appeal to you to live this way. And he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind in light of all that he's been saying. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Glorify God now in how you live. This book is about the glory of God in all these ways. And so Paul finishes this way appropriately with a doxology praising God. It's about God. He is worthy. He is good. And this shows us what he's like. That's, that's simply who he is. He is most worthy. He's most glorious. God is not power hungry. He doesn't need your worship. He doesn't need you ultimately even to see his glory. But he wants you to because he loves you. It's part of his glory to share it. And he calls us to reorient our lives in light of his glory light of our need and to be ones who love him and enjoy him and glorify him too this is this is truth and the sooner we line up our lives with this the better the sooner we simply understand how glorious he is and and line up our lives in light of that the better now if you had a chance say to interact personally at some point with Luciano Pavarotti, he's no longer alive, but the great opera singer, and you were to meet him, would you, would you meet him and think, oh, I can sing pretty good, actually. Let's, uh, let's Luciano, let's have a singing con- you know, contest. How high, how low, how long I can hold a note. You wouldn't do that, right? What would you do? You'd just be like, Luciano Pavarotti, wow, I love your stuff. Can you sing something for me? And you would listen to him sing. You would glory in him, not yourself. If you met Tom Brady, you wouldn't be like, hey, Tom, let's, you get a team together, I'll get a team together, we'll do some touch football, and we'll see who wins. No, you'd say, hey, I just want to watch you throw passes. 
My brother-in-law got to do that, actually, and he was amazed at how fast he throws the ball. Um, Stephen Hawkins, the great phys astrophysicist, you wouldn't show up and say, hey, I got some of my own ideas, Stephen, about string theory here. I just want to, like, kind of, I don't know, some of the things you say, I'm not so sure. You, I don't, I hope you wouldn't do that. I'd be like, teach me. Help me understand these things. Mother Teresa, you met her, you'd, you'd, you'd not be like, well, I'm pretty merciful, too. I help the poor people, too, a little bit myself. No, you'd be like, tell me. Tell me about your life. Tell me about what you've done. How much more God? And Romans is so good for us. Because the reality is, is we want to walk into the throne room, in a sense, and tell God about ourselves. And God says, you need to understand who you are and who I am. So that you can live properly and actually prosper and flourish in that. And no longer be carrying on the ridiculous idea that you are somehow righteous and glorious in and of yourselves. So Romans tells us to come and to glorify God, to live in that, to delight in that. And so the challenge here in, in this series, a question I have to ask you is, have you grown in humility and in appreciation for God as a result of our time in Romans? Have you grown in your love for God's glory over your own? Romans is about the glory of God. Now, continuing, and the next points won't be so long, in case you've not ever heard me speak, you might be very worried right now. Um, there are particular details to how the glory of God works. So we see that in the doxology. Paul just doesn't say, to God be the glory forevermore, end of sentence. He says, now to him, and then he launches into all this other stuff before he finishes his sentence, right? Now to him, and who is able to strengthen and so forth, he goes on and then finishes his sentence, to the only wise God be glory forevermore. So there's all this stuff in between. So there are specific details, and we've already been talking about how God is glorified. There's content to it. It isn't just the idea that, well, God is just so great. I just enjoy the thought that he's great. Uh, no, he's great in certain ways. There are details, and, and this book has been much about that, and what Paul says in here is, is much about that. He says at the end, a key description here, and at the beginning of what he says, he talks about being able to be, uh, he who is able to strengthen you according to what? My gospel and the preaching of what? Of Jesus Christ. And then at the end, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. So it's really important to understand that God is glorified through Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done and how that impacts our lives. And that's the next point. Through the impact of the good news of Jesus Christ is how he's glorified. Now we should understand the, the meaning of this word good news. Paul speaks of it according to my gospel. That's often what we hear, gospel. And that's just, uh, in some ways it's a good word, but it's an old word. Uh, from Old English, which means good news. That's exactly what gospel means, good news. And, and so it, the good news of Jesus Christ is, is how God is glorified. But there's a part of good news that, that um, we may not understand. When the Bible uses the word gospel or good news, it's not just the fact that it's good and it's news. It, it's that it's the sort of good news that changes everything. And there's a context to how that word was used. Back in that day, if a Roman general or an emperor conquered the enemy and took over territory or fought off enemies that were invading, 
he would send heralds throughout all the cities. And they would go into the city center and they would pronounce the good news. The good news of the emperor or king or general's victory. That all was well. He had overcome. They were safe. And now the reign of that emperor that, and so forth, that, that kingdom will continue. And so good news was not just like, that's good news, but like it's a, an announcement, a pronouncement that changes everything. Isaiah as well, we see that where it speaks of the one who shares good news, and it's this idea of God's people experiencing God's deliverance from sin, their own sin, and their enemies, announcing peace, proclaiming news of happiness, sharing the good news. Think of it in terms of the end of World War II, when people heard the good news of the victory in Europe or the victory in Japan, and they celebrated in the streets. It wasn't just like, oh, that's nice. It changed everything. No more war. The war has ended. And, the, and now it was a time, then a time of prosperity and peace. That's the sense of this word gospel. It's good news that changes everything. And God is glorified in the reality of that good news, but also the proclamation of that good news. That's what Paul's saying here. This truth of Christ crucified, the righteous one, God in the flesh, God becoming a baby, living among us, identifying with us, knowing what it is to be fully human in all of our struggles and all of our challenges, and yet looking to his Father always, loving others always, fulfilling all righteousness, that wonderful life, teaching and demonstrating the reign of God on earth, and then offering that righteous life on the cross. Why? Because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We all deserve eternal spiritual death. Christ came to die in our place to pay for your penalty so that you could be forgiven for every single thing, every intention you've done in offense against God and others. All of it. Jesus took it all on himself. Bore that, paid for it, said it is finished, then rose again on the third day, victorious. Victorious that he has won and the kingdom is safe now and it's offered to you, victorious over sin and death. Jesus Christ has done it. He's ascended. He's reigning. He'll return. This is the good news that changes everything. And so Paul says to them, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. This good news changes everything in, in certain ways here in this section we've learned in Romans. It's able to strengthen you. Some translations say establish you. This is the idea that this good news and hearing it proclaimed will establish you, will, will cause you to stand on stable ground, will take you off the unstable ground, will take you out of the quicksand and give you a place to stand that's secure and safe now and forevermore. This good news of Christ, hearing it, Leaving it establishes you in God, in everything. And no matter what will happen to you, God will use all things for your good. And he will never leave you or forsake you. You are established and strengthened by this good news. It affects us in this way. And so Paul proclaims it. He preaches it. And, the, and it's not just for those who have never heard. Certainly it is. That's his heart's desire that those who have never heard this good news would hear it and for their lives everything would change but he's also doing this pastorally 
He's doing this, he's showing this letter to a church that's full of people who already believe so that they would be established, that they would live in this, that they would grow, that they would hear the, uh, the, the truth and be changed. This produces this ability to be established. And also in this section, it talks about the, the, the gospel and its preaching going. It's, we'll talk briefly soon about it being hidden, now revealed. We're going to talk about it being made known to all nations. But it says to bring about the obedience of faith. That this good news is being proclaimed it's changing everything. It's bringing about the obedience of faith. What does that mean? That's important. Paul's summing up some important things in this letter. Well, we can look elsewhere in Romans. Always good when you want to understand a phrase or a word to look within that document. And so within Romans chapter 1, Paul starts out early saying the same thing. Through, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Speaking of him and his team. To what? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Very much the same thing. He started with the same sort of phrase. He ends with the same sort of phrase. And in between he uses a sim similar words that will help us understand. Two helpful verses. Romans chapter 10 verse 16. It's, it's speaking of, of some, uh, many of the Jewish people at the time not yet believing. He says, uh, but, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So do you hear that? have not all what? Obeyed the gospel. And then who has believed? So it's connecting obeying the gospel with believing. And then Romans 15, similar thing, Paul's speaking about his ministry. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. And so what does obedience of faith mean? Well, some would understand it as faith itself. It's Hearing the gospel, it brings about an obedience of belief. And that certainly is a very important part, an essential part of it. The gospel has power when it is heard, when it is proclaimed, when it is heard by God's grace to actually create faith, to work in us and open up our eyes to see and believe where there wasn't any true seeing and true believing previously. It does that. That is the obedience of faith, certainly. But it's not just being able to believe because faith and obedience are tied together. And that's what we see throughout the letter. Romans 14, right? Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So faith is connected to obedience. Faith is related to obedience in important ways. And we see the flow of this in Romans that, that the, the believing the gospel Hearing the gospel creates a lifestyle of obedience. God develops in our lives through believing and living in the gospel, holy living or righteousness itself. We grow more like him. And it happens in, in many different ways, but Paul points out two important ways how this obedience of faith comes about, this connection. And I want you to hear this. This is probably one of the most important things in Romans. To understand the connection between the gospel, the reality, the objective reality of what Christ has done, and your life. And how this produces obedience. How it works. So that you don't do obedience wrongly. And so there's two key verses, among others, to look at Romans 6, 1 through 4. 
Paul is speaking to the Romans because he's been talking about the wonder of grace. It's a free gift. You're forgiven. Simply believe. That's, a, that's wonderful news, but it begs the question. Well, I can just go do whatever I want then, right? Because just simply believe. It's all free. I'm forgiven. Do what I want. And Paul, Paul's answer is, well, what shall we say then? Are we continuing sin that grace abounds? So just what I said. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried uh, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. Paul says, may it never be. Why? Because it's not who you are. There's actual a reality. There's, there's a something about your very nature, who you are in Christ, that has been altered. When you come to that place of faith and you don't know all this is going on because for you, you're just like, I like that. I believe it. I receive Jesus. That's all maybe you're aware of. But at that moment, you are joined to Christ in a powerful spiritual way that you actually are united with him to the point where you died with him on the cross to your old self and you've been raised to new life. It's who you are if you're a believer. You may not feel that all the way, all the time, maybe never fully. I don't, I don't think there's anyone here who feels that fully, but it's real, it's true. And so Paul grounds our obedience in that reality. That, that ain't who you are. Don't do it. Why not sin? It's not who you are. You've died to that. You have new life. You belong to Jesus. It's, it's the spiritual reality. It's your nature. It's your identity. Paul roots obedience in that. We must as well. Secondly, Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So see the connection here as well. I appeal to you by the mercies of God, by the truth of the gospel, by the fact that God himself took on flesh and loved you so much that he died on that cross for you. He has given his all for you so you can be forgiven. He loves you that much. I've heard it said that it's as if God loves us as much as God loves the Son, Jesus Christ, because he gave the Son for us. So by the mercies of God, I appeal to you this is the other motivation, the other connection. He's done all this for you. He loves you. So, how can you not love him back? How can you not say, you've done all this for me. Help me. I, I need your help, but I want to give my all to you. I want everything. I want all my life to be for you. Whatever I might do, whatever you might call me to do, I want it to be for you. Your spiritual worship. And then, in light of that, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So here's the pathway to growing in that. Learning more about his ways and learning more to love him and see his goodness and glory. How do you see his goodness and glory? Most powerfully and poignantly in the cross of Christ. That's how we see the character of God through the, through the cross, through Christ himself. And so there's a connection between the gospel and living. This good news, understood and proclaimed, received results in a changed life. I hope that makes sense. I hope you remember that. I hope you understand, too, that we've been in this book for quite a while, not too long, total of 33 messages, I think, counting this one. We've been going through the letter. 
And you've been receiving instruction from God's word. And just as Paul expected the church in Rome to respond to his instruction, which, was the, which is the word of God, God in his love and in his mercy has an expectation for you as well. So you've been hearing, and the intent in hearing isn't just to say, oh, that's interesting, or I felt good this Sunday. I want you to feel good, and I want you to be interested. But God wants your lives to be impacted. Think about it. If you, uh, in the workplace or at school or wherever it might be, if you were given a week to go get training, you had a 40-hour week maybe of training, whatever in your skill or in school, whatever it was. When you came back, would you expect your workmates to be like, hey, what'd you learn? And would you expect your boss to be like, what'd you learn? And behind that being like, how can you help the company better? Right? And I think we need to understand that too. We've been probably 40 hours-ish in Romans. And God has a desire that you do the same. Now, this is in the workplace, and we don't motivate by guilt, so don't feel guilty uh, and stay there. Maybe you need to feel guilty, but don't stay there. We motivate by grace. The gospel is the gospel of grace. We are forgiven. He loves us. We're safe. But let's not be lazy. Let us offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Let us be impacted by this. Let us, at least in one way, think about how this has changed our lives, going through Romans. Well, last two points, very quickly. Paul says it. He says that this is something that happens among the nations. This gospel is to go forward among the nations. This is God's command, actually, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith known among all the nations. This is a proclamation that is not just for Jewish people, not just for the Roman church, not just for Americans or Europeans or Asians, or whatever. This is for all people, all nations. This is the good news of the victory of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for all peoples. It's not only relevant to people that are somehow brought up in a Christian context. It's for all peoples. It's the ultimate reality for all nations. And we learned about Paul and his passion for this. He was desirous to not, to not just be with people that already heard, but to go where the gospel wasn't heard. Actually, his whole strategy he reveals in chapter 15. His strategy is this. He goes where the gospel hasn't been heard to proclaim the good news, to see lives changed, and then to keep on proclaiming it until that local church is mature enough that he doesn't need to be there anymore. Now they can send him to the next place. And this mission of Paul continues to be the mission of the church, the whole church, and this particular church. I hope that this book and what God will do through us will ruin us for anything less. Will ruin us for just the local mission, as important as it is. Will ruin us for just growth in and among ourselves, as important as that is. But will propel us to the nations. Propel us to be part of what he's doing among the nations. Propel us to take an interest. Propel us to, to do more with our own global partners. And let me put another plug in for our outreach and missions team. We want that team to be created to lead us in this so that we as a church will be part of what God's doing in real ways among the nations. Final point. It's all according to God's plan. 
This is God's plan. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. This is all God's plan. All along, he's been waiting to do this. He's been speaking of it. He's been calling his people. He's called Abraham to be the father of all believers, to bless all nations. He called his people Israel to be witnesses to the nation. He Isaiah spoke through Isaiah to reach all nations, and now in this time he is doing it. He's, he's fulfilling what he's been waiting to do to bring this good news to all nations, and it's happening. This good news has been proclaimed, is being proclaimed, is having an impact. It's all according to his plan. And we need to remember that. This is God who's doing this. He's the one. It's his genius. The good news of Christ is his genius. This mission is his doing. He's doing it. And we get to be a part of it, but he is the one doing it in and around us. And what a privilege it is to be part of it. Isn't it a privilege to be rescued by Christ? Isn't it a privilege to be joined in Christ? Isn't it a privilege to have all things work for our good? Isn't it a privilege to have the Spirit of God dwelling in us and interceding for us? Isn't it a privilege to be counted as sons and daughters, safe and beloved, isn't it a privilege to be part of his precious church, given gifts, called to love, live in peace? Isn't it a privilege to partner with an infinitely worthy mission to our neighbors, our friends, and the whole world? This, these are the truths of Romans we've learned. And God is doing these things. I hope, as I conclude, that you will live the rest of your life in light of the truths of Romans. I hope that you will ever be a student of the book of Romans. This book is a rich treasure chest full of gold, silver, diamonds, and rubies to be drawn out and admired. This book is a department store full of cool technology that you can marvel at and use to do really cool things. This book is like a travel agency with free tickets to all sorts of definite destinations beyond your imagination. It is rich and full of life-changing and eternity-changing truth. We've been on a journey exploring it, but the journey is not over. I would encourage you to read as much of it as you can, to memorize as much of it as you can, particularly for those of us who are younger and our memories are still really good at that. Get those verses in your minds now. I still remember verses I memorized at 17. I can't, I'm not as good at memorizing now. Memorize this book. Get to know it. Learn more about God yourself, the church, and his mission and eternal plans. May this book continue to fuel us as a church. It's the substance and strength of our fellowship. It's what should propel us to share the reason for our hope. It's what will help us understand and go to the nation. I hope you understand how this good news of the gospel is the center and source of the Christian life as a result of going through Romans. And I hope, along with all your pastors, that you are better prepared for eternity because of the book of Romans. Let's pray. Well, we thank you for this series and all the things you've been teaching us. Thank you for the book of Romans. It's amazing. We have the very word of God to read, to learn from, and receive life from. 
And I pray, Lord, would you grant grace and power that there would be lasting and eternal fruit in our lives individually and as a whole church as a result of this series. We are grateful to you. And we say along with Paul, to you, the only wise God, be glory forevermore. Amen.